Okay, it's time for the Global Threat Report, Global Threat Solutions, the uh, 100% military veteran-owned security investigations firm. Global headquarters right here on Long Island, ladies and gentlemen, Suffolk County. Also, offices in and around the city, Miami, L.A., overseas Frankfurt, and uh, Mumbai with the CEO, Ken Bombay. He's 21 years of law enforcement intelligence experience, served as a military intelligence officer in the Middle East. His company offers so many, and I mean so many, services. And you can all uh, check it out online. Just go to that uh, great website of globalthreatsolutions.com. You make a phone call, any questions, 646-946-6649. The aforementioned Captain uh, Kim Bombay. Sir, how are you? hope you had a wonderful Christmas. You okay? Doing great. Uh, Jay, thanks for having me on. hope you had a great Christmas. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, great holiday, indeed. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's check out a couple of things over the last couple of days, Cap, uh, and that is what's happening uh, over in Ukraine. And, you know, you kind of get a feeling that it's just some propaganda. You know, I don't get a sense that Putin is ready to negotiate anything as far as end-of-war stuff here. I mean, you know, listen, he is on a mission, uh, and it might be a suicide mission for all we know. Uh, I don't believe there's any let-up in sight. I mean, when you're still killing innocent people, when you're still firing missiles... Uh, into uh, apartment buildings, maternity wards, knocking out power grids, trying to get electricity and heat and everything else uh, out of there uh, for the folks over there. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what his mission is. His mission is to destroy Ukraine, obviously, but who knows beyond? But do you get a sense that there is a negotiation in the future of Vladimir Putin? I would say yes. I would say that, like you said, over Christmas weekend, we had increased uh, missile attacks on Ukraine, but at the same time, he did a state interview with uh, their state news agency in Russia. And during that interview in in the state uh, news agency, he stated that he is the one who is willing to negotiate right now. And that Um, It's the other parties involved, not just Ukraine, but the other parties. They are the ones refusing to negotiate. As I said, this occurred during a time when he, you know, also was increased missile attacks throughout Ukraine. And but it is it is uh, a change in his tempo right now, Jay, in that he did state he wants to negotiate. And people noticed that. And it happened at a time right after uh, Zelensky had visited the U.S., you know, to speak to our Congress and meet with President Biden. So people are paying attention. Some people are paying attention, uh, but, uh, you know, the Russian forces bombarded. Uh, even, you know, you talk about Christmas Day and everything, scores of towns in Ukraine. Uh, even though he said he was open to negotiations, uh, and I know Washington is somewhat dismissed as kind of posturing because of these continued attacks. But, yeah, they launched uh, more than, what, 10 attacks uh, in one of the regions there, 25 towns shelled. Uh, You know, you go on and on and on here, but even the Defense Ministry of Russia stating yesterday that it had killed about 60 servicemen, Ukrainian, the previous day. Uh, So the beat goes on, you know, and that's why, you know, his latest offer to negotiate, uh, you know, to me, to me, at, at this point, I don't see any end in sight to this 10-month deal, this conflict right now. Uh, even though he says, or people are saying he is ready to negotiate, involved about acceptable solutions, uh, 
Um, but he kind of says that's up to them. Uh, they're not. I mean, he's basically saying they're not refusing to negotiate. They are, meaning Ukraine. So, I mean, he told this to some uh, state television station uh, that was broadcast yesterday. I mean, uh, listen, uh, if you ask Zelensky, you know, Zelensky would probably say he's out of his mind at this point in time. But that's what's going on right now. Right. And it, the thing is, like you said, this is a 10-month brutal war in Ukraine. Estimated losses now are in the hundreds of thousands. People are ready right now. But Ukraine has some serious concerns, not the least of which is they feel put Putin simply wants to avoid responsibility for tens of thousands of lives that he's taken, war crimes he's committed, and this massive cost he's incurred to Europe and the entire world. And Ukraine also fears that Russia will use any period of um, a ceasefire for negotiations just to regroup and, and launch a new offensive against Ukraine, which is, uh, has been an underlying fear of theirs since any discussions of the diplomatic end to this has started. But I'll tell you, Jay, they have a, some legitimate concerns right now. Um, and one, the, the biggest one is just trust. Can they trust Vladimir Putin even take part in legitimate diplomacy at any level? He's been responsible for widespread war crimes. He's threatened to use nuclear weapons. He's used propaganda to convince his own people that this is a, a legitimate invasion. He's caused tens of thousands of his own lives, Russian lives, and he's targeted the energy sources in Ukraine, and he's kind of held Europe and the world hostage by manipulating oil and natural gas supplies. Also, the world so, is so ready for this conflict to end right now, but are they going to give Putin a pass? And that's something that's a real concern Ukraine has right now. You know, obviously there should be war crime tribunals when this is all over, but we're so desperate for this to come to an end right now. Are Western leaders willing to make that concessions? concerning that just to get this conflict to come to an end and i don't know if ukraine is and and finally you know ukraine there and president zelensky i don't think there's a middle ground here they don't they want to give up nothing and and honestly i think jay western leaders would be willing uh to have give concessions to putin right now just to get this conflict over with to get some stability to the region and the world but you, you know, President Zelensky has made it very clear: no concessions, no land will be given up. So, where do you really even start with negotiations right now? I don't think anyone believes Putin is going to accept that. You know, I get a sense also, Cap, that people are getting tired of all the help that the United States is giving Ukraine. You know, it's it's approaching what about sixty billion dollars in aid, and you know, people are frustrated right now with all that's going around in this country, things that need to be repaired and whatnot. Yet. We are still fortifying this war. Is there any validity of mindset as far as how you think and the continuance of all these dollars uh, as in subsidies into Ukraine? Uh, any questions at this point for you? There are, Jay. And you know I've supported this effort to fund the Ukrainians against Russian aggression since the very beginning. But I have to say my mindset right now has changed a bit. We are, with the money that's been pledged, not just the $2 billion they gave right ahead of Zelensky's visit to D.C., but they've also uh, pledged another $40 billion. This will put us well over $100 billion total spent. And when you look at major NATO allies, France and Germany, having spent, I believe it's $1 and $1.5 billion respectively, I think that we need to address this immediately. Why would we be pledging more money when our NATO partners, people 
Jay, who are in much closer proximity to Vladimir Putin and his war machine and, and the repercussions of this, uh, this European conflict, who are giving a hundredth of what we have pledged so far, that is crazy and something that needs to be addressed immediately. I don't think we should be giving any more money until our NATO partners step up. You know, this is something that President Trump tried to address. The first president in a, in a long time tried to address NATO spending on their militaries. They're supposed to have a minimum um, military spending budget as compared to their GDP, and they don't. They simply don't spend that money. And we, you know, NATO, you know, NATO is uh, speaking very boldly, but they're speaking with our money. And this is the way it's always been right now. It's very easy to increase uh, add NATO countries and members right now, knowing that the U.S. is putting so much money towards this. I think there needs to be some more equity in concerning spending and our NATO partners. They need to step up. This is a European conflict, and although, yes, it has global uh, implications, they need to step up their spending and take this more seriously before we spend a dollar. I, I think we've spent enough at this point. Captain Ken Bombay's Global Threat Solutions Report. Uh, with that being said, uh, you have China uh, apparently uh, carrying out some military exercises near Taiwan, of all places, and Japan. They send about 47 aircraft across the Taiwan Strait. They call it some sort of a strike drill. Uh, you also have some nefarious activities, what could be in North Korea, what else is new, uh, regarding a drone incident where they flew uh, those uh, drones into South Korean territory. So you got you got two different situations that you have to kind of keep an eye on. And listen, uh, we know the deal as far as uh, those territories are concerned. And at this point in time, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of commonplace. But, you know, nonetheless, you wonder about a response of anything from the United States. Right. And it seems that we're not even paying attention. You know, I feel that the American people have not placed this uh, threat from China and North Korea uh, they have not given it uh, the priority that it that it deserves, and I don't even think our leaders do, Jay. And that's what's a little bit scary to me. China has increasingly violated um, the Strait of Taiwan. There's this uh, it's unofficial rule that there's been in place for decades now, um, not to cross that median of the Taiwan Strait. And China has increasingly in recent years, and definitely in recent months, been crossing that median, making almost daily incursions. And this was a big one. This was 71 planes and seven ships they sent in a 24-hour period. We need to be paying attention to this. And I'm sure our intelligence agencies are. The problem is, are our elected leaders paying attention to this? And then you have North Korea also, who has a drone force of approximately 300 sending drones over the border into South Korea, which, which brought about a South Korean military response. This is dangerous. You know, they even fired shots at those drones. These are dangerous um, incidents because of how quickly things can escalate if something happens. So we need to be paying attention to this. And, and I know that we did increase military spending in this most recent $1.7 trillion spending bill. But honestly, I, I have to say, I would have waited to the new year and spent more time and not rushed this through this spending bill to make sure we have enough spending and on the right things in our defense budget right now. These are the greatest threats we face. So we talk about inflation and everything else. You know, we started this whole regime with the $1.9 trillion deal. Now we got a $1.7 trillion deal. Put an exclamation point as far as things for the year. 
Uh, it's just endless stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, you wonder when we're going to lasso some of this stuff, especially that of what's happening with these migrants now. You, know, you had three busloads. Uh, captain from uh, the state of Texas dropped off right near the vice president's residence uh, on Christmas Day. About 110, 130, somewhere in that area, men, women, children, led off near the Naval Observatory. Uh, you know, cold, bitter cold night on Saturday. It was Christmas Eve, 15 degrees or so, give or take. Uh, but uh, all in all, the the beat goes on as far as uh, this uh, type of situation, you know. Uh, and you're talking about individuals mainly from South and Central America arriving in D.C. Saturday evening, a two-day trip from Texas. Uh, and and that's where we're at right now. You know, listen, Greg Abbott has been uh, very vocal about this topic. You know, it's a very serious situation right now. And where do we end here? You know, we have Title 42 on hold. Uh, you still have uh, record numbers when all said and done as far as the encounters, uh, the gotaways you and I speak about, human trafficking that is ongoing, the fentanyl that's being led into this country. These cartels are raking in big bucks. No end in sight. president went to the state of Arizona a couple of weeks ago, not the border, did not view the border, does not want to recognize the problem. Uh, neither does the Homeland Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, forget the czar of the border. She's made one trip down to the state of Texas for a cup of coffee somewhere near El Paso, and that was it. Uh, the beat goes on here. Declaration of disaster emergency-wise in El Paso declared by the mayor. And you wonder, when does this all end? You know, I mean, at least stay in Mexico policy should be in place. If nothing else, that's not the case. So is there an end game? Do you see any of this coming about soon? Well, it's definitely going to come to a head, Jay. I mean, you know, the the Democrats will claim that this is a stunt on Christmas Eve, dropping off busloads of uh, immigrants at the vice president's house. And, and yes, it is. I would say it is definitely a stunt, but it's a stunt to get attention, get attention of our leaders who have done nothing to secure the border. Specifically, I think they've chosen VP Kamala Harris' house because, you know, she's claimed continuously we have a secure border and that she's even done a great job at securing that border. And I think it's uh, a crisis that's simply not being addressed. I think it's politically motivated at the actions that have occurred at the border and the crisis that, that's occurred at the border since this administration took office. And if that's what it takes to get people to pay attention, then I guess that's what their strategy is as far as sending these buses up there. The bigger picture is, what are we going to do now? As bad as this border is, and the threats that it poses to our people as far as fentanyl, which is the greatest killer of our young people now in America, and kills, uh, what, over 300 people a day, um, fentanyl besides that, terrorists, gangs, crime at the border, not to mention why should D.C. and why should New York and why should Chicago and they, 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 the leaders of these cities seem so offended when these busloads get dropped off? But why should these border towns be overrun by, by illegal immigrants and, and these cities, people who support these policies, these Democratic elected leaders, why should they get a free pass? Why should these border Texas, the state of Texas, bear the brunt of all of this entire crisis on the southern border of the United States. It shouldn't be. So I, I really don't have an issue with the busing of them, and especially if it's, if it's used 
to get the attention of our elected leaders to possibly take action to stop this. As far as Title 42, we're going to see what happens with the Supreme Court decision. And I think if there's legitimate reason to keep Title 42 in place. This is a public health law. And I think in addition to COVID, if any concerns we might have about that, I would say the fentanyl and the crisis that we have, like I mentioned, 300 people a day. That is a, a health crisis that we face. Why can that, be, that not be used to keep Title 42 in place? I think that's what needs to be considered. And when this Republican Congress takes office in uh, January, I think that's what they need to try and push forward. The mayor has been crying out of the uh, city of New York, Eric Adams, been very vocal, uh, needs some help here. You know, already uh, a zillion-dollar deficit uh, within the confines of New York, and uh, and no end in sight there. You know, what do you do? You set up special areas uh, for these people. Uh, it's costly. In New York doesn't have the dollars and everything else. Council won't give in as far as adding more to the budget. So, you know, Eric Adams is kind of caught between uh, as far as what could happen here. So uh, really no end in sight as far as all of this is concerned. Uh, it really is on, at the hands of uh, the administration as far as Washington is concerned, uh, and they haven't done anything about it. Will they do something in the future? I don't think so. Maybe, you know, with the change as far as the leadership uh, in Congress, maybe you get a little something done there, a little more recognition uh, as far as tackling this massive problem right now. Not only happening in New York, as far as where these individuals are going, you know, they're, you know they've gone into some of these other sanctuary areas. So uh, we shall see as far as the changeover in leadership uh, in Washington. Finally, let's head over to some of the cases in and around in Idaho. Uh, no real break in the action uh, over the last couple of days. You know, that white Hyundai Elantra that was picked up in the state of Oregon. It was about 450, 460 miles from Moscow, Idaho. Proved to be really nothing. Occupant of the vehicle, uh, left it on the side of a road, really had no connection uh, to Idaho there. But the beat goes on as far as the state agencies get. Uh, the FBI involved, the local police department involved in trying to solve the four murders of these college students. And you wonder... Uh, you wonder if this could become, you know, an actual, you know, cold case where we're talking about this, you know, a, a long time from now, you know, with the same set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, you kind of wonder if there's going to be any breaks in the action. What's your feeling today? Yeah, I mean, you know, these investigations take time or can take time. We're kind of grown accustomed to having a quick resolution to investigations with all of the investigative techniques and resources that we have in the in the modern era. But sometimes things take longer. But there's some. There's over ten thousand tips that have come in now, and it, those don't take minutes. Those take time to go through those and and see if they're valid. So with these types of investigations, we have multiple agencies involved now, including the FBI. They take time and they take personnel, and they got to cross the T's and dot the I's. And people don't have the patience for it now. And one of the reasons for that, Jay, is this is a college town. This is a college town with a a gruesome multiple homicide that is unsolved. People are sending their kids back to school in a couple of days, and they have concerns, real valid concerns, that maybe the people that did this or the person that did this is still out there. And and you could understand that, right? So I think they have a tremendous amount of pressure on them right now for some progress, and it, that is a real concern now that this could become a, 
a cold case? I would like to think not. We have a lot of resources that have been thrown at this. But, uh, you know, as we as we go into 2023, it's a it's a real concern of people who live there and especially that the university community. Yeah, uh, pretty much. And uh, again, you got to wonder as far as, you know, how this thing unfolds. There were a lot of experts uh, that I saw the week leading up to the holidays that uh, said, you know what, I think uh, I, I feel that they're going to get a break in the action. You know, kind of paraphrasing a little bit with some of these experts uh, we're seeing in unison. So, um, you know, the whole idea is, I guess, you know, let this thing unravel behind the scenes, under the radar. I know the families are very frustrated, obviously. Can't combat that. You know, some of them have even hired their own private investigation. Uh, so, you know, listen, it's it scared the town uh, as far as everything is concerned. College town. Uh, most of them still out on the break, come back in a couple of weeks. Maybe that doesn't help the investigation. There certainly have been some flaws as far as the last six weeks was concerned, especially in the beginning. So uh, the one thing, though, I think everybody can kind of get a sense of that it was a targeted attack, you know, uh, because you got to know the lay of the land as far as the way this frat house was set up, you know, on the third floor entrance way, uh, you know, it, it just seemed like whoever did this, you know, kind of knew the landscape from inside. Kev, you agree with that, though? I, would. I do. I would say that, you know, someone who definitely planned it rather than spontaneous because there would be so much, even now, um, there has to be so much evidence found in within this crime scene because of, you know, just because of the nature of the crime. But if this were just uh, a heat of the moment, I think, spontaneous crime, I couldn't imagine that there wouldn't be, so. it would be such a reckless um crime that we'd have more evidence and more to move on right now than we do the fact that it's gone this long has really stunned a lot of people such a gruesome crime how could there not be more how could there not be video how could there not be people calling in valid information related to these victims that would lead us to the next step and and maybe they are further than we know they're just not releasing that information so people have legitimate concerns right now but it seems like somebody Somebody definitely targeted them, and if uh, and they were careful in, in the way they did it because for to to murder so gruesomely four people, and they still do not have enough evidence right now to have moved forward in a considerable way. I mean, it uh, it seems like it wasn't a heat of the moment crime. Question: uh, Kim Bombay's Global Threat Report, ladies and gentlemen, Global Threat Solutions, the one hundred percent military-owned, veteran-owned security investigations firm. 